Hey guys, Chris from CCA here. We started this podcast a little more than a year ago, and it's been quite the ride with you as a listener. But have you ever thought about creating a podcast for yourself? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, it's been super easy and painless to bring you fresh content almost every single week. And we've got so much more to come, too. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. Welcome in. Thank you so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. Good to be with you. Super grateful for for all of you hanging out with us for another week. My name is Chris. As always, I am in solo, and this week we're going to try something going on the uh, trying something new train, uh, like last week with uh, Matt Rose from Sagebrush. Um, we're going to try something new. I'm going to start answering some questions. Um, the long story short, last night. I posted on Instagram on multiple accounts asking for any questions that you want answered. Uh, and by the way, if you have not followed us on Instagram, uh, go to CCA California at CCA California for Instagram and uh, make sure to go follow us. Make sure to go subscribe to our podcast as well. Uh, definitely would love to hear from you um, regardless of uh, questions or answers or anything like that. Um, so late last night, I actually ended up posting that uh little question thing on the story deal. And, uh, you guys did not disappoint. That's for sure. We got a ton of questions, um, throughout basically ranging from tackle to predictions, to regulations, to everything, all the above. So I'm going to try and do my best to answer as many as possible. I've got, uh, Quite a few of them, like I said last night, from both accounts on the CCA California account, along with the Doc Talk podcast account. Um, definitely appreciate all of you guys reaching out. Um, just to put a pin in that for a second there, we definitely certainly appreciate all of your support, all of the love that has been shown to, uh, to both of us um, throughout this journey and podcasting and all that with us. We really can't do it with the, without you guys. Um, you know, it, it, we've, we've said that abundantly over the last year or so, but it is 100% true. We just cannot do it without a followship like you guys and listeners and it's good stuff. It's really, really good stuff. So without further ado, I'm going to start answering some questions. And if I start, uh, you know, not doing or not saying the right things or anything like that, I apologize, but I'm going to try and do my best here right on the spot here. Uh, one of the first questions we got, when's the next fishing derby in OC area non-boaters are here? LOL. Thank you so much for that question. Um, next fishing derby um, in Orange County specifically. Um, we actually do, I think we're working on our Orange County chapter 
has a bass charter, I believe, going coming up in late June um, on the Sum Fum. Don't hold me to that, but I believe that's going to happen. And I think that would be the next one in the Orange County area. As far as the, uh, the if you're referring to Coastal Social, the one that we just had last uh, in, in May up in 22nd Street Landing, um, big shout out to those guys. Appreciate all of their support. Um, our next one's actually going to be in San Diego, right down the road from you, um, which it's definitely worth the worth the drive there. Um, it's going to be at Dana Landing on October 6th. I believe that's the right date. Whatever that Saturday is, October 6th. And um, it's always a fun, It's that one's really, really fun because we, it's kind of like the end of the year celebration for us as far as tournaments go. Um, we normally have some food and a raffle and, um, you know, those guys down south, they uh, they definitely come to play. So definitely uh, look into that one. It's coastalsocial.org um, for the date and how to register and all that. You Registration is open now. So it's, um, it, it's available and we'd love to see you there for sure. That would be, I guess, the next uh, bass-specific uh, derby or, or, or whatnot in Orange County or close to it at least. Next one, are there limits for bluefin, dorado, or yellowtail? Absolutely, there are limits. Um, basically, it kind of depends on where you fish though because Mexico has different limits from California or U.S. Um, you definitely want to refer to the local regs uh, on what uh, basically wherever you fish, there are different regulations, whether it's in the U.S. or Mexico or both or whatnot. There are definitely rules that you need to adhere to. Um, I know for a fact, Mexico, it, your, your limit is basically five fish. I'm sorry, 10 fish. Um, but there's a weird combination. So Dorado actually count as, I guess, two Dorado count as five fish and that's half your limit there. Um, there's other little weird things going on down South of the border there, but it's very much posted on all the sport boats nowadays. And, um, I definitely refer to the uh, Sport Fishing Association of California, their website, their their website is top notch. They actually do it really, really well um, to actually spell out all the different regs that Mexico does every single year. Uh, one question that actually did come up recently as to how do you get your Mexican fishing license? That one, you know, up until recently, I think has been very, very straightforward. You just go to their uh, the what they used to call the Kona Pesca site. And you just go up there, buy your fishing license online. I think it's it's like forty bucks or something, something close to that. And you get it, uh, you get like a little PDF document that you print out, and there you go, wham. Um, this year, I've kind of heard something different. I again, I refer to the SAC website. Um, they're the experts over there, the Sport Fishing Association in California. Um, Ken Frankie and his group do an absolute epic job. Um, on spelling out the regs and how to basically be legal in Mexico um, when it comes to when you're fishing on a, on a sport boat or if you're even fishing on your own boat. Um, they have everything there on their website. And, um, you know, this year up until recently, I kind of did hear through the grapevine that it was a little bit challenging this year um, to get your Mexican fishing license. I would advise just don't wait until the last minute. If you're a month out or a couple months out, just Go ahead, get that knocked out, and definitely reach out to uh, SAC and um, to figure out what the process is, what the new process is. I, I heard that 
you have to go down to their office in downtown San Diego again and to actually get a physical copy or something something along those lines. Um, I'll try and look for the website and, and if I find it, I'll post it in the show notes and actually my, you know, now that we're talking about it, my Mexican fishing license actually is going to expire here pretty soon as well. So I'll have to do the same thing. So if there's something new or something, I'll be sure to let you guys know when that comes, uh, when, when that, uh, comes my way, I guess. Next question. Do I need a boater's license at age 17 to drive a 30 foot whaler? So let me see if I can get this right. So as of today, yes, because so in California, at least, um, and again, depending on where you live and all that, you have your boater safety card regulation that can, that went into effect probably a couple of years ago in California. I think it was maybe a handful of years ago. Um, ultimately it increases in age by 10 years every year. So over time, everyone's going to have to get it, a uh, boater safety card. So I would advise just to go get it just so that you're cleared more. I mean, I can definitely see if it hasn't done so already. Uh, your insurance company is requiring it, that anyone who is operating the vessel um, definitely needs to have a boater safety card. It also provides um, a lot of, I guess, comfortability as well, just so that you know how to operate your boat responsibly and safely at all times. Um, if you've got your, your, I guess your 50 ton, hundred ton, uh, OUPV license from the coast guard that also works too. Um, that's basically a more advanced boater safety card. Um, but you're actually having to go through a much more, uh, grueling process. I mean, it's, I've talked about it on the podcast before. It's basically a mountain of paperwork, but it's certainly worth it. You only do it once every five years. Um, also another thing that I would say is you want to go and do what they call the STC, STCW, which I forgive me. I don't know what that means, but ultimately it's, it shows basically how to operate a vessel or how to react on your vessel in case of an emergency. So they go over everything from firefighting to emergency to all these different scenarios. They actually, I think at one point during the class, I think it's a two-week class. At one point, they actually have you get in the pool and get into a life raft and all that. It's kind of kind of cool, kind of fun. Um, it does cost a pretty penny, though. So um, definitely, it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, and you can actually get all that done through the Maritime Institute. I don't think it's called that nowadays. But I think there's, uh, if you Google Maritime Institute, it's down in Point Loma somewhere, um, close to the five and the eight interchange there. But it's uh, it's actually kind of, to me, it's enjoyable. It's fun. You, you know, if you go during the winter time, you'll probably see half the, half the guys that, uh, that are in the fleet down there renew either renewing their ticket or, um, or trying to get their ticket, which is great. It's great to see all these young guys trying to go after their ticket. And, uh, it actually works out really, really well to where all these sport boats, if you've got three, four, five different licensed skippers on the boat, I mean, you're only as strong as your weakest link, right? So all of those, it just goes to show how dedicated your crews are and how great these port boats are really well equipped uh, with uh, with personnel. So that's that's really a good thing. So, But bottom line is, refer to your local regulations um, as far as the boater safety card. But as of right now, I believe that is the case, um, that you do need it. 
Next question. How is the advocacy fight going now versus last year? What's it look like in 12 months, 24 months? That's a, that's actually a good question. So in a nutshell, the advocacy fight, I would say probably in the last year, it's been going really, really well, really, really strong. We've had some victories along the way. We've also had some defeats. Um, you know, uh, obviously we've talked at length about what's currently happening, the 30 by 30 deal that's going on right now. Um, that's really going to be our main focus for the next up until probably the year 2030. Um, that's not going away anytime soon. So I would say just to kind of measure the fight in general, um, you know, it, it, it's going pretty good. Um, we've had some victories along the way more so than what was you know, definitely forecasted or predicted, especially in a state like California. Uh, but ultimately, I think, you know, we're doing pretty well. We've had quite a few. I mean, the most recent one was obviously with the 30 by 30 deal, but outside of 30 by 30, um, you know, the 365 day license, that's a big deal. That's a big win. A lot of anglers like yourselves were asking for that for years and years and years. And it's been introduced for years and years and years. And it finally got through, which is great. Um, it's just another sign that it really pays dividend or, you know, whatever that phrase is. It really does very, very well in all of these NGOs and the agencies and CDFW, all of the groups working together to really accomplish quite a bit, um, especially for the fishing community as well. So it's, you know, from a 30,000 foot view, it's looking pretty good. We're holding our own. And that's basically kind of the gist of what I'm trying to say is we're holding our own, we're making inroads, we're making quite a bit of progress, more progress than we've probably made in the last 30 years, more or less. Um, it kind of just depends on how you look at it. But ultimately, yeah, our backs have been up against the wall at times on certain issues and all that. But we've also made great strides into um, trying to... Uh, I guess, utilize relationships, trying to build those relationships, break down the barriers, break down the walls. And if you look at it from that aspect, we're phenomenal. We're doing really, really well. But I guess going in the future, though, um, I wouldn't say I'm not optimistic. I'm not saying that I am optimistic because, like I've said before, in California, things can change so quickly and uh, not to our favor more often than not. But I would say it's probably going to be more along the lines of what we've dealt with with the past couple of years, where it's just we have our ebbs and flows of successes and uh, defeats as well. But the moral of the story is we have to keep going. We have to continue the fight. If we don't fight, no, <laughs> that that's it. California or fishing in California is going to be done, um, and that's the bottom line. And that's why we do what we do. So. Um, ultimately I think there are many, many good things to come, but I think, um, it, it, it's, we've got a bright future in California. Next question. What is the biggest issue we face as fishermen and what can we do to help? Good question. Good question. Um, you know, I would say the biggest issue, um, I'm going to come at this from a little di a little bit of a different angle here. The biggest issue as that we face as fishermen in California, at least, is trying to be a part of the process. And what I mean by that is participating, participating in the Fishing Game Commission's, participating in the 
uh, PFMC, Pacific Fishery Management Council meetings, participating in these avenues that the, these agencies and departments are asking for input from fishermen. And the best, the, the best opinion that we can give are the ones that relate to all of our on-the-water experience. So in reference, you know, in essence, we are some of the best resources that those agencies have as far as information and real-life information, I should say, um, truthful, what we call truthful science. And that's really kind of the biggest issue where, you know, I know government, I know advocacy is not the sexiest thing. I get it. I, I totally understand that. And I agree. It's not great. It's not good to do. But the problem is if we don't participate, we're not, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose everything that we have. So I think that's probably the biggest face. And I get life in general, it's busy for all of us, myself included and all that. Um, but as long as we continue to make time and appoint the right people and also put the right people in the right positions at those agencies at, um, you know, in the, at least the, uh, the uh, input sector, I'll call it, to where, you know, if we have the right information, if we have the right uh, people responding to those inquiries from the department and, and others, then we'll be in really good shape. We're offering, we're doing what we can, uh, but it's all about getting out there. <laughs> it's all about actually doing that. Um, and that's really kind of the biggest struggle because a lot of people, they just don't want to, to do it. And, you know, I get it. I totally get it. It's not, it's not the good, it's not the best thing to do and it's not everyone's cup of tea either. So I, I get that. As far as the second part of this question, what can we do to help? So the best thing I'm going to try and you not, not do, well, I take that back. What we can do to help or what can you do to help? Really, if if it wasn't for groups like CCA, like Sport Fishing Association of California, SAC, um, and, and others, other NGOs, really it's, you know, those groups are actually designed and they're actually doing all of that for you, the angler. In order for us to do that and to keep doing that, we need resources. And by resources, I mean money. So really the best part of doing that is participate in our events, help us fundraise, go to our, you know, have our charters, go to our banquets, uh, participate in our fundraisers. The best way, the easiest way, and, you know, quite frankly, the most painless way as if you're just, you know, just the average angler that's a kayak fisherman or, or private boater or sport boat, uh, whatever, really the best way, sign up for our Contribute to Conservation program. If you sign up for that, it's basically 10 bucks a month. That's all we're asking for, 10 bucks a month. You can give more if you you're, if you're, if you like to, definitely won't wouldn't hurt but if you give 10 bucks a month through our contribute to conservation program that actually allows us imagine if we got 10,000 anglers to participate at 10,000 or 10 dollars a month imagine how many resources we can have with that with that amount of uh with that amount of funding um it really just kind of it it, it really helps in in a big way that's really the biggest way and all you have to do just sign up your credit card and it's just going to hit your account every month. And in return, actually, we just started doing this this month. You're actually going to get promo codes from our sponsors. Um, each month is going to feature a couple different new sponsors and uh, you're going to get promo codes. So for example, this month in June, everyone who participated in the program 
um, got a uh, coupon code for both AFCO and Hakuma. Um, that's actually really, really, you know, it kind of get, it gets your money back in a way, but also it helps us out, helps them out, helps you out too in the, in the long run. So that's kind of the best way to do it other than, you know, just typically attending our events, joining your local chapters, keeping informed, keeping, uh, keeping informed of what we're talking about advocacy wise and all that stuff. And also spreading the word too. That all, that also helps in a big way as well. <laughs> this one can you teach me how to dance i know who uh who submitted that one and sadly no i can't i uh i don't really dance myself so i'm sorry i can't uh can't be uh of help for that another question what's the most beautiful fish you've ever seen in person um <laughs> my short answer the fish that's actually on uh, my hook or on my line that's the most beautiful one. But really, I mean, the thing that comes to mind uh, right off the bat is the Dorado. The Dorado is a beautiful fish. It's kind of, you know, obviously we all know you got to get your picture right away. Otherwise, you're not going to get a great picture or whatnot with the Dorado. But really, that's kind of the one, the the, the go-to one that kind of comes to mind for me. Another one that comes to mind is the Opa. Opa is a really beautiful fish, uh, but those two for sure are the ones that uh, that are most beautiful for me. Next one, what's the best way for college students to get out fishing more often, especially ones from the IE? Good question. Um, the best way. So, you know, I kind of grew up in a time period where fishing wasn't, you know, even before my time, I had heard that fishing was not frowned upon, but it was looked down upon. And it wasn't cool to fish. And nowadays, I think it's it's a complete 180 where we have a lot of younger guys, a lot of younger people um, that are fishing, which is great. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. Um, but I think when it comes to the college kids and everything, um, first off, you know, I'm assuming you have your license. You can get a, hop on, hop on, hop in your buddy's truck or hop in a car or whatever and drive down to some of the landings or some of the docks and all that. That's first and foremost. Um, uh, also something that I kind of referred to at the beginning was, you know, nowadays we actually have, we've been reached out to by certain, uh, new like college clubs, um, that have like actual fishing clubs, which is kind of cool. Cause back when I was growing up that those really never existed. And even, um, even high school fishing clubs as well. Um, so I really, really the best advice that I would give is just get involved with those clubs. Make sure if you, uh, are on a particular campus, go reach out and see if there actually is a fishing club. And more often than not, we all have been there. Once you figure out, or once you connect with someone who also fishes, it's almost like it, it's kind of like a secret code or a secret handshake that we have. Um, but it's, uh, that would probably be the best thing, or that would be the first thing that I would say is go find and see out and see if there's actually a fishing club, um, on your campus. If not, I would say use the power of social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Um, go, you know, there, there's a lot of these, uh, I guess, I'll call them fishing clubs or these virtual fishing clubs as well that have, you know, Hey, we're all going fishing on this date at this time, at this place, uh, come out, come out with us. And that's actually a really, really fun way to do it as well. That's actually a really good way to connect with uh, people that 
are in maybe not your neck of the woods, but also all throughout Southern California because of technology, because of our cell phones nowadays and all that, it's super, super easy to keep in contact with people, to keep in uh, contact with a fishing club. Um, I know quite a few people personally that live in one place, but have another fishing club a hundred miles away. It's the craziest thing, but it's also possible. Um, I would say probably look into your campus uh, uh, specifically and to figure out if there's a fishing club. If that doesn't work, use the power of social media and uh, figuring out how to get your, uh, your fishing fixed there. This one's interesting. How do you pick out your guests for the podcast? So for us, what we do is I actually have, I have a huge, huge running list of P, uh, potential guests. And I don't know if, if I've said this on the podcast before, but I'm not afraid to pick out anyone. I'm not afraid to go and, and just pick out anyone for the podcast, whether they're just a typical fisherman or if they've got a story to tell or if they're a uh, sponsor of ours or whatnot. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but if you do notice, we don't really have too many repeat guests. Um, we have a couple of our favorites and and good friends of ours that um, you know have something to say or want to get on for a certain reason or whatnot, and that's totally fine. I love that. Um, but we we try and mix it up every week, something new, somebody new every week, and um, you know w- with the occasional repeat, which is great. So we actually do what we do, you know typically what happens is we'll have our schedule at least a month or two out. Um, obviously schedules change and we have last minute cancellations or, um, we have a, we have a standby list as well that we can just pop in and out of and all that. But really when it comes to actually scheduling guests, I always try and get somebody new every single week, um, just to get different perspectives, um, different advice for you and all that. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of the whole process. Um, typically I'll try and schedule everything out at least a month out, um, maybe a little bit sooner, depending on the, uh, the time of the year. I know you guys have probably noticed we didn't have a show for gosh, probably a couple months, two months, three months, uh, first part of this year. And that was really only because, uh, we were, it was show season. We were gone pretty much every single week at a different show and it was almost impossible almost impossible to schedule out uh, podcasts and, and sessions for the podcast to go record and all that. So that's really the big reason why. Um, we know that now, so we'll probably try and, and plan for that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really fun. I've had sincerely every single person who's been on this podcast before. I really have enjoyed. It's It's been a great experience for both Darren and myself. And uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to have a whole bunch of new people um, you know, whether you've heard them about them or not, everyone's got a story to tell and we definitely are here for that. Next one. Will there be another San Diego charter this year? Um, yes, there will be another San Diego charter this year. It's not going to be in the same time frame, though. Um, we normally have our, uh, San Diego chapter charter in, I think July, like middle of July or something. Um, we've actually pushed that one out to the end of September this year, but we're still going to be on the San Diego, which is great. We're, uh, you know, and bottom line, that was really because the San Diego is just such a popular boat. We just can't, we, we couldn't lock down a date um, that worked for both the boat and for us and, and the chapter as well. But we are going to have it. Um, I believe that's going to be September 29th. Um, uh, yeah, 29th of September. 
Um, not available to book yet, but we're still locking down the details and the contracts and all that, but there will be another San Diego charter this year. Another one, can anyone attend any chapter meetings? Yes, absolutely. Um, so a few, maybe last year, I think I made the change. We used to call them board meetings, quote unquote board meetings. Board meetings gives, gives off the impression that you have to be part of the board in order to attend, which is absolutely not really true. Um, so we kind of changed them and they just call them chapter meetings. So all we really ask is that you are a member of CCA and that's super simple. It's 40 bucks a year. Um, and joinCCA.org is how to become a member of CCA. Um, or you can go on our website, ccacalifornia.org to, to become a member as well. Um, but really just become a member and uh, you're more than welcome to come get an update from myself. We typically are in there for uh, maybe an hour and a half or so, maybe two hours at the most. Um, just planning out our events and figuring out what we're doing for fundraising and membership. And a lot of the volunteers that are within our local chapter boards, fantastic people. Um, they're some of my favorite people as well. Um, you know, everyone is there for a reason. They believe in the cause. They believe in what we're doing. And uh, I can't thank those guys enough. Those are really what CCA is all about, those local chapter boards. Um, so if you see on our website or if you see a uh, one of our email blasts go out or if you see our newsletter goes out, if you're a member and you get our monthly newsletters, typically the calendar is at the bottom. So you can definitely make sure to um, put that in your calendar, show up at, uh, at any meeting that you'd like to, and uh, we'd love to see you there. Here's another one. How far in advance do you, do you record episodes? Um, you know, typically... It depends on the time of year or yeah, it depends on the time of the year and also what year. Uh, last year, we actually ended up recording episodes pretty far in advance, um, like maybe all the way up to a month in advance. Um, and it's good for scheduling, but anything that we're talking about typically isn't really relevant as far as fishing goes. Um, believe it or not, I mean, you know that usually if you're using this jig this week, probably it's not going to be working or not be the hot jig in two weeks or the next week. So we normally, uh, we try and record up to the week prior just to kind of keep all, all of the, um, all of the content fresh, all of the content that we talk about relevant as well. Um, we try and do that. It doesn't necessarily work out all the time, but, um, that's, that's what we try and do, um, every week. Can I find the podcast on YouTube? You can. Uh, you can find certain episodes, especially like the first, I think, 20 episodes on our YouTube page. And it's that it's Coastal Conservation Association of California on YouTube. Um, you can find a couple episodes there. Um, we haven't really been updating that quite a bit um, just because of bandwidth and time. And it takes quite a bit to produce video content. But I will say I'll give you a little bit of a tease we will be moving on to YouTube or moving forward with YouTube here in the next probably month or so. So definitely stay tuned for that. Um, we're going to try and without, without completely letting the cat out of the bag, we're going to try and do actual live streams and recordings and all that stuff. And that's going to be hopefully every week um, on YouTube. So you'll be able to actually be able to watch us in real time on, uh, on a certain day of the week. So that's kind of the, uh, the carrot that I'll let dangle out there, take it for what you will. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's our plan moving forward. <laughs> this one's good. 
Chris, are you going to leave the podcast once your baby is born? <laughs> um, so, yes, I do have a baby on the way. Um, due date is in August. Um, but no, I do not plan on leaving the podcast once once he's born. Um, you know, I this is something that I definitely thoroughly do enjoy um, about my job at CCA, and, and that's doing recording the podcast, chatting with all of you guys, um, and uh, giving out advice whenever asked um, on the podcast and hanging out with Darren and Kevin and everyone else. Uh, but I am not planning on leaving the podcast anytime soon um, for CCA. Where is Kevin? It's always entertaining for him to be on the podcast. I agree. It is entertaining whenever he's on the podcast because we give him a whole bunch of crap um, for just being himself. Uh, but Kevin is still around. He's really, really busy, as you can imagine, um, with fishing reps and doing his own deal and all that. Um, definitely, you know, he's, he's got, he knows this, but he's got an open invitation whenever he's available um, to be on the podcast and to sit in every week or any week that he is available or, or around. But um, chances are he's probably going to be super busy during the summer too. So, um, you know, we hope to see him every now and then, but uh, definitely cherish the time that we did have with him full time at least. And uh, definitely will continue to cherish the time that he uh, chooses to uh, spend with us every week. How do I start my own chapter of CCA? Um, good question. So, Right now, we currently have eight local chapters in California alone, and that those are predominantly in Southern California. Um, our plan is to go north a little bit, um, hopefully extend to the entire state of California. Reality, I'm sure, is no surprise to you, no shocking, uh, you know, no shock to, to you. California can actually be split into three separate states just with fisheries alone. Um, so obviously here in Southern California, we have our own species that we look after, that we that we that we seek out. Um, in Northern California, even Central California, they've got other species um, and far different species than Northern California. So it really is quite a bit of a workload, um, at least from my standpoint, to where we have local chapters up and down the coast. We have eight so far, and we're pretty much <laughs> we're not running out of bandwidth, but we're pretty close there. Um, right now, the more chapters we open, the more uh, resources that we have, and uh, but more chapters, more chapter development is on the horizon there because we just have to grow. Um, there's quite a few fishermen. There's quite a bit of anglers in general in California that we have to represent, that we have to step up the, uh, to the plate for, and we recognize that. So, um, Going back to the question, how do you start your own CCA chapter? Um, you actually reach out to me first. Uh, my email is chrisa at ccacalifornia.org. If you really are interested in starting a chapter, we'll have a conversation. We'll, we'll kind of give you the, uh, the, the, the breakdown as to what it, what it pertains to, what, uh, how it works, all that good stuff. And, um, you know, just really overall, just what it's going to take to start a local chapter. Um, it does take time though, just forewarning. It does take time because we can't just simply show up somewhere and say, Hey, we're here now. Um, it takes quite a bit of time. It usually takes about, I'd say at least a year, more or less trying to develop the team, trying to develop the chapter and trying to develop, um, basically the help that it's going to take or the help that we need to be uh, present up in a specific region. Um, with us being based here primarily in San Diego, it's a little bit of a trek, but 
definitely worth it. Um, but I would say first and foremost, reach out to me, certainly have the conversation and I can give, send you a whole bunch of stuff, whole bunch of materials to kind of just lay it out there and say, Hey, this is what it's going to take. What do you think? And then ultimately it's going to take that person, whoever reaches out to build their team, uh, to build their team around them. Um, we have our local chapter network. We have our, um, our different explanations on each position. We have our org chart, um, online and as well too. So it, it takes quite a bit. So if you are serious though, definitely reach out to me. Let's have that conversation. Let's start that process in your local region. Can I automatically renew my membership every year? Um, you can automatically renew your membership every year. You just have to do it manually every year. Um, right now we're trying to work towards that auto renewal option for, um, members, um, for our members and all that, trying to figure out um, the best way to do that. Obviously, there's a whole, whole bunch of logistics um, that pertain to that, uh, not only through us, but also with CCA National too. I know they've been, um, they've had other chapters, they've had other members in other states begging for that. And we do recognize that. We definitely want to do it. Um, it's just a matter of how we do it and how seamless is it going to be. So um, it is coming. I can't tell you when though. Um, it hopefully in the next year or two, maybe, uh, but it is coming, but until then, um, really, how do you, how do you, uh, renew your membership? Well, by, t uh, by attending our events, all of our banquets usually come with the CCA membership for one year. Um, that's one way to do it. Also, you can just as always go online, join CCA.org or even CCACalifornia.org to renew your membership. Um, better yet, if you become a life member, you never have to do it again. I'll just throw it out there. Um, life membership does start at a thousand dollars for, uh, for, I guess your <laughs> the life. Um, and, uh, that that's one way to just basically not have to worry about that every year. But ultimately auto renewal is coming. I just can't tell you when, um, because I don't know, but hopefully that's, uh, that's coming sooner rather than later best tackle to use right now for bluefin um you know at the moment we're recording this early june um best gear to use for bluefin so far what i'm hearing is usually a lot of the uh, the jigging the jigging setups um typically knife jigging and also depending on you know the moon phase and all that um if you're jigging at night your chances are it's probably going to get bit as far as the specific gear, though, the specific jigs, I really love the knife jigs, um, for especially at night. Um, typically, you know, anywhere from 200 to 400 gram or even above if you really want it. Um, but I like to rig them a certain way. I like the two assist hooks on top and a single J hook in the bottom. Um, that's just the way that I do it um, with probably at least a 100-pound liter um, crimped. Um just so it's just basically one setup ready to roll right then and there. Um, I typically have just for peace of mind. I'm not known to rig. Uh, I'm not really known to, I guess, for my rigging. Taken a quite a bit of a uh, interest in it the last couple of years, though. I still like to be safe, safe. Uh, whatever that phrase is, safer rather than sorry. Um, I usually have it checked with the deckhands. I usually have it checked by the captain or even the guys at the tackle shop too. It kind of goes through these processes where, um, luckily I'm fortunate enough to know quite a few people, um, in those, in, in those spots or in those tackle stores where, Hey, I need you to check this. 
they're saying no problem. And usually they'll either find something or they'll, they'll feel something that uh, is a little bit of a chafe. They'll swap it out. Um, I would say I would, I would definitely defer to your deckhand. They're on the water every single day. They know exactly what's going on at that point, point in time. And they're going to set you up for your success on your trip. So that way you get the best, um, the best, uh, experience on that boat. So I would definitely check with your deckhand, but the way that I rig it is two assist sticks on top, one single J in the bottom. I think it's like a nine O hook that I typically use. And then a hundred pound, uh, leader that's all crimped and all that. That's typically how I do my knife jigs. Um, also, you know, during the day I wouldn't, I, I would probably drop down to 200 pound or I'm sorry, 200 gram, um, flat falls style jigs. Um, almost pretty much they all work. Uh, you know, there's might be a, some hot jig of the year or whatnot. Yeah. You can go get it. Um, I would get it too. And I'm guilty for getting probably five of them too, just to have, um, just so I have it on hand and I'm not looking later on down the year when they're all sold out. So that's typically what I like to do for bluefin. I'm pretty sure that's probably going to work right now, recording this in early June. Um, but I think that's, uh, that's pretty much it for bluefin right now. What is your favorite jig for fishing bass? can have a podcast of its own on this question, um, but I'll keep it short. So for bass, um, depending on the situation, depending on whether you're fishing in the kelp or outside the kelp or whatnot, personally, I like fishing outside the kelp. I like going up, uh, fishing up current a little bit and, um, and going through, you know, just right outside kelp lines and all that. I don't really like fishing inside the kelp mainly because I fish a lot of hard baits and not so much uh, weedless. I'll fish the weedless if I have to, but I do like the SP Minnow from Daiwa. That's really, really, the, I mean, that's probably one of my favorite jigs. Um, I love, I've been known to have an obsession for mint, the color. Um, they actually sell a color called toothpaste that I really, really like. Um, the SP Minnow, I think it's like the medium size, the 15 um, there's like the 17, the 15 and the 12 or, or something along those lines. I like fishing that. Um, I also like fishing, um, the, uh, I think they, ca they call them the, the current snipers now from Shimano. Um, those, I also like the Zaycona jigs from Daiwa. Um, but mainly hard baits, mainly hard baits for me. I like the Ahi ones as too. Um, just because I like fishing them. I like, uh, you know, not so much swim baits because I really have, uh, issues trying to, you know, just basically launch that and, uh, into the kelp and then just basically winding it in. For me, I like turning and burning quite a bit. Also surface iron too. Um, I love fishing bass on the surface iron. Uh, my go-to surface iron for that, I would say probably would have to be the CNC jig. So OCT, um, I call it the cannibal color, but it's the yellow color. Um, I like the OCT four and the seven and a quarter, Seven and a half. Uh, ten is a little big, but I'll still fish it anyway. But um, I love surface iron on the Calico. That's my favorite way to catch bass. Where can I sign the petition against 30 by 30? Um, well, sadly, nowhere. <laughs> There's no petition currently for 30 by 30 at all. Um, really, 30 by 30, as we've talked about at the podcast, it's really more of a different fight. It's nothing that we're going to throw out a petition on and go to Sacramento and say, Hey, these people, 
oppose 30 by 30. It doesn't really work that way for this battle. Um, I know we've done that in the past, predominantly for the lead ban that happened a couple of years ago. Um, and even the 365 day license, we did it at some point, but really kind of a different, different tactic for a different day. Um, the petition, there is no petition for 30 by 30. It's an executive order. So it's really, we're just trying to go through the processes and trying to go through um, the avenues that they've actually provided for us. Um, so really no, uh, nowhere to sign a petition yet. If there does become one, we'll be sure to let you know. Question for Chris, what did you do before CCA? Um, so what I did before CCA, um, I actually ran and still continue to do sometimes, uh, run, run, uh, run boats, um, uh, primarily the six pack, the six pack boats. Um, I had my own boat for a little while, um, at a fisherman's landing, um, and uh, did that for a little while and uh, ended up getting a job with CCA or getting this job with CCA. And um, uh, it, it, the, the timing was right. The timing was right. I, uh, you know, back then I thought I was old and wanted to get, get on the beach a little bit more often, um, you know, got married and wanted to spend a little bit more time with the wife and all that and uh, ended up doing that. So before that, you know, running boats whenever I could, had my own operation at one point and uh, did really, really well. Um, super, super grateful for that experience for sure. Uh, before that, I actually was in marketing. So I worked for a couple PR firms uh, up in LA, uh, born and raised in San Diego, but worked up there for a couple of years. And um, it was a great experience. A lot of those skills translate to this job too, which is great. Um, but I think uh, other than that, I think Fishing has always been a part of my life, um, as always. For everyone, you know, listening here, I'm sure that's probably the same way. Um, you know, I, growing up, I used to fish all the time with my grandparents, with, you know, my dad and all that. Um, really, really, you know, cherished that. And I always thought that f getting in the fishing industry, doing the whole boat thing and starting a charter business and, and all that, I always was under the impression that that was going to be my plan later down the road, later in life. Um, you know, when I was retired or semi-retired or whatnot, did my deal and everything and really kind of, you know, back in, I, I can't even remember when it was, but um, I just ended up taking the shot, taking the chance. I'm like, I'm young enough. If, the, if this doesn't work out, I'll go do something else. And Luckily it did. And, you know, it kind of opened a lot of doors for, uh, opportunities for me and I'm super grip for a uh, gripple for it. Um, but ultimately what I did before CCA run boats, I still kind of do every now and then my, uh, depending on the time of the year, I'll get calls every now and then and, uh, super grateful for that. I still have my license and everything. So, um, definitely, uh, definitely, uh, grateful for all the experience that I've had so far. Why does my fishing license price go up every year? That is a good question. <laughs> if I knew the exact answer, I would tell you, but my interpretation of the fishing license pricing is that every year, every, every year the department goes through an audit and they're trying to figure out, okay, what, what are the, what is their pricing need according to the mission? Um, a couple years ago, I think right after COVID or even during COVID, um, they did do a, uh, the CDFW did an audit of some sort and they actually ended up finding out that 
they are depending on you know based on the job description of the department of all their projects and all of their um of all of their missions i will call it uh they were actually 70 percent uh understaffed i believe understaffed and underfunded too um you know cdfw they're not you know it's not just all the wardens it's the science side as well it's the uh, hatcheries up north and all that there's a whole bunch of different elements to cdfw um, you know, obviously that all needs funding too. Um, and then California, especially in Southern California, uh, or I should say mainly in Southern California, you have the Orheb stamp, the, the little $5 stamp that you have to buy if you fish south of Point Conception and all that, the ocean enhancement staff that actually, um, funds the, uh, the white sea bass program that we're, uh, that, that we help out with, with the Hub Sea World Research Institute. Um, so that's actually, a, that, that's kind of, an example of the fishermen, the anglers in California kind of putting their money where their mouth is in a way that, you know, we're, we're, we're caring. We're showing that we're, we care about the resources. We care about what's going on with our, um, with our, uh, with the stock assessments, with everything else that, uh, we're, we're putting our money where our mouth is. And that really, uh, that does, that, that does show, show quite a bit that, that definitely does. What's a rough percentage of local pelagic speech species that home guard, quote unquote, home guard, white sea bass and yellowtail? I'm going to try and answer this question, I think, the way that you're asking it. So if I'm not asking it or if I'm not answering it correctly, I apologize. But, you know, I would say it depends on the species, obviously. Um, you know, I've heard theories out there that Bluefin tuna, they've been around here in Southern California for so long in certain areas, for instance, Tanner and Cortez Banks. Um, they're, they're usually, and even way back when, when they were pretty much all around San Clemente Island, um, there's been theories out there that there are home guards out there, home guard bluefin out there. Um, you know, and quite frankly, I, I, I can buy into it. I can certainly buy into that. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of bait in Southern California that just doesn't go away and neither do these bluefin. And, Quite frankly, until that resource goes away, the the bait, the the foods, the food resource for the bluefin, until that goes away, I don't see them going anywhere. I really don't. I mean, people can make their predictions as far as oh, they're we've only got a couple more years left with them or whatnot. If someone predicts that, good for them. <laughs> but I don't really. I mean, no one knows. No one knew that they were coming either. Hundred years later, so. Um, I, I think every year that they do stick around is one year we get with them and grateful for it. And they could be gone very easily the next year. Um, other local pelagic species, species go the white, the yellowtail. Absolutely. Um, first and foremost, I believe, um, you know, personally, I believe there's plenty of home guards in La Jolla. Um, they they just stick around and, and, and do that deal. Um, do that program in La Jolla. I've seen it firsthand. It's great. Um, white sea bass, I can see too. Um, white sea bass, though, I don't, I don't put too much stock into it, just because I, I, I believe that there's a lot of sea bass, white sea bass, um, particularly that actually roam around. Um, they migrate. So, for example, there's. As far as the white sea bass program goes, there have been fish that have been released out of San Diego Bay, out of Mission Bay specifically, and twenty like 20 years later, super far down the line, same fish, the head got turned into the hatchery program, and 
it, they caught it out at Tanner Tanner Cortez Bank. It's it's unbelievable. Um, there's also you know I heard from you know we've heard from uh, Jason and Jamie Diamond earlier last year when it comes to rockfish. They released a rockfish with the CCFRP program back in October of, of a certain year. And a couple years later, that same fish was caught all the way up in freaking Oregon. So I don't, you know, as far as home cards go, I'm sure they're out there with uh, when it pertains to certain species and everything. Um, but really, you know, that, that that's kind of my opinion. I'm not really a, of an expert of, of any of that. Um, I, just, <laughs> I just go where, where, where they tell me to go. All right, guys, a few more questions here before I let you go here. Do you do any sponsored trips with certain landings throughout the year? Um, you know, every now and then. Uh, this year, I tried to push for sponsored trips. Um, I really wasn't that successful. Not that the landings weren't willing to, to help us out or anything like that. It was really just because of timing. Um, I just was kind of late to the party. And rather than doing something half-assed, I want to whole-ass something, um, for lack of a better phrase. Um, but with that being said, we do actually have a sponsor trip. I'm going to record or I'm going to release this episode tomorrow. So by the time you hear this, if you're hearing this this week, when it comes out, we do have a sponsor trip, um, that's happening this Friday, um, on the El Dorado out of Long Beach sport fishing. Um, I believe the price, they just lowered the price to 200 bucks for that trip. Um, so definitely, uh, something to get on the, the, the boat's in beautiful shape. Um, the landing is actually really convenient, plenty of parking, all, all kinds of good stuff. My good friend, Steve, uh, the landing manager over there is super, super stoked for this trip. Uh, as am I, um, definitely come fish it with us. Uh, that's going to be June 9th, I think. Yeah. Friday, June 9th, uh, fishing the 10th. And that's going to be a freelance trip probably to the Island. Um, but, uh, always a fun experience with those guys. Super, super comfortable boat, comfortable bunks. Um, they've got a, soda fountain machine, which is a big hit for me. Um, but I, it's, it's definitely one of those opportunities, those rare opportunities for a CCA, uh, sponsored trip out of a sport boat. Okay, guys, the last question here, how are, or how were the shows for CCA in general? Was there anything in particular or particularly good that came out of them? Well, a lot of things, a lot of good things that came out of them. Um, honestly, what, uh, you know, this show season, we actually made a bigger splash, um, as far as membership goes, because really this year was the, I would say probably the first fully open year since COVID. Um, I know the PCS show was around in 2022. Um, and that was a great show. That was really, really fun. And, and really was kind of the only show of the year minus a couple of exceptions there. Um, but ultimately when we, you know, the bottom line is when we were at a show, we made it count, which is great. We made it count in fundraising. We made it count in membership. And that's really a tribute to all the local chapters. Um, they actually held up their end of the bargain. They volunteered so many different hours. Um, they, they really stepped up in a huge way for CCA California. And so did the shows themselves as well. Um, Bill DePriest at PCS and Bart Hall from the Bart Hall shows. Um, those, those guys are phenomenal when it comes to CCA and their support is unwavering for sure. And, uh, we really can't do it without them for sure. Um, they allow us to do what we do and not every show does that, um, which is great. So I would say in general, we actually learned quite a bit about membership. We learned, um, quite a bit about what we can do. 
the capabilities of our organization, the capabilities of our volunteers, our manpower and all that. Um, but ultimately, we, we we signed up quite a bit of members. We fundraised quite a bit. And I'll just put this out there. We signed up a hell of a lot of life members too, which was great. Um, I think 30 by 30 was a huge um, that was a huge motivation motivator for that in particular. Like I said, the uh, life membership starts at a thousand bucks a piece, and um, it really, it, it really is a tribute to all of our all of our members, all of our volunteers out there, and uh, really they 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 executed the shows very very well, and I can't be happier. Guys, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, as I kind of ramble off here and answer some questions, um, we'll try and do this again. This was actually really, really fun. And uh, in a short amount of time, uh, we got we got quite a bit of uh, great questions and quite a bit of um, just really, really kind of unique questions, which I certainly enjoyed. Um, as always, make sure to go follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Uh, make sure to go to visit us on our website at ccacalifornia.org. Become a member. Um, don't forget to uh, participate in our Contribute to Conservation program. Ten bucks a month, guys. That's all we're asking for. Ten bucks a month. Um, and that really goes a long way for us and our resources and our capability of doing more, even more than what we're doing now. So really encourage you guys to go do that and also take advantage of all the uh, promo codes that uh, we send to you guys every single month by enrolling in that program. Thank you guys so much for joining us. My name is Chris and we will see you guys next week. Take care. Yeah.